Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Friday Roundtable Show. It's episode 346. And we recorded this on Friday the 16th of November, 2018. I hope you're all, if you're based in North America, getting ready for Thanksgiving. Uh, um, Spencer's he's looking forward to the host of his children returning from school and spending a close week with him. Um, I'm going to let my panel introduce themselves. Last week, I forgot to do that, actually. Um, Chris, would you like to introduce to your, yourself to the listeners and viewers? I'm Chris Badger from Lifter LMS, which is a WordPress-based system for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses. If you're watching this live, we have a Black Friday sale that has already begun. That coupon code is Black Friday 18. Oh, and what do you get with that code? Uh, it's 20% off anything in the Lifter LMS store. And then once we get to Black Friday, the discount is going to reduce down to 15%. All right. There we go. John. Are you going to reduce yourself? <laughs> I can't reduce myself anymore. Five foot six is as far as I can be reduced. All right. I'll introduce yourself, John. Oh, yeah, yeah. My name's John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design and SEO. Uh, and we help manufacturing and industrial firms with SEO. So people find you and you get more RFQs, which means more cash in your pocket. Yeah. And Spencer, I'd like to introduce yourself. Sure. Spencer Foreman from WPLaunchify.com. And I help people who are building profitable membership sites on WordPress, usually with marketing automation and other kinds of LMS stuff. And we love Lifter LMS. I'm very white in color. I know. I'm in a new setup where I'm right by the window. I'm going to adjust my contrast or something because I agree. I'm really washed out, aren't I? Yeah, a bit white, just like you've been. You're a bit ill or something. There we go. All right, let's go into this first story. Matt Marinweg addresses controversies suggesting Gutenberg, surrounding Gutenberg at WordCamp Portland. Question and answer. What did you think of this, Chris? So right after he did that, he came over to Portland, Maine, and I went down to a small meetup with him and about 20 other people. And that was the first time I actually met Matt in person. Been using WordPress for 10 years. Which is uh, which was really cool to finally meet him and um, meet some of the other local uh, main WordPress folks. But it's similar to what was in you know in the conversation. Um, I think the biggest point that Matt makes is that with WordCamp US coming, uh, he's we've kind of announced like phase one and phase two of what Gutenberg is. And so the big announcement at WordCamp US, which is happening in a couple of weeks on December 7th, I believe, is what is phase three and phase four. Um, and he, he just acknowledged the, uh, the controversy, or not the controversy, but just how much of a change and a shift this is for the WordPress community. He actually made an analogy that the last time it was, this controversy, this kind of heated about changes was when they first introduced the tiny MCE editor, which I which I find interesting. So it's kind of like the same thing. But um, 
the uh, the the notes or the note on accessibility, I think, is kind of really one of the big issues. Like, how can we have a core value of WordPress, which is supposed to be accessible, uh, and have the accessibility standards at the release of Gutenberg not be 100%. I think that's like kind of the the focal point of is it ready? Is it not ready? Is it is it fully tested? Um, there's just so much going on around it. And we've already talked about it so much that I'm, I'm really optimistic about it in terms of the Gutenberg rollout. We're actually going to do a webinar on the day Gutenberg slated to roll out, which is the 27th, I believe, at Lifter. And we're going to be demoing building blocks and course templates with blocks and and using Gutenberg and showing, trying to help show people that it's going to be all right. And by the way, we built a ton of new features and here's all the benefits. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with Gutenberg. And uh, I, I do think this is a pivotal point in terms of WordPress um, and leadership it's an important point to like lead through this change well, not just from the top, but it, you know anybody who's a leader in the WordPress community. It's um, it's not. I'm not saying it's all going to be like easy and fine or whatever, but it's a, it's a key moment of transition here. Yeah, I follow what you're saying. Uh, before I throw it over to Spencer, um, I thought the opening remarks were a little bit unfortunate in that he seemed to be framing criticism as being um, that, that I'm sure some, some people do criticise because they see it as a financial threat. But to frame any kind of criticism in those, in, as they are biased because they are, they are threatened by Gutenberg, I think that was a little bit unfortunate to utilise those kind of words. Um, the other part I found personally interesting was his reflection is that he's had to utilise too much of uh, automatics resources, i.e. personnel, to move this project forward. And he seemed to be hinting that other players in the WordPress ecosystem that also make large amounts of money. Um, he seemed to be suggesting that he has been disappointed in them not contributing as as many resources as he hoped to that project. My only comment about that is is that I think that's linked to the confusion of who actually owns, controls um, WordPress.org? Is it a truly open source project or is it fundamentally owned by Matt? And automatic, I think there's so much confusion that has led to that situation which he outlined, outlined in his speech. What did you think, Spencer? Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I look at this from a marketing perspective because that's how I see the world. And the marketing perspective is that really what is the end goal that you're hoping to achieve for the base of people who are your fans, right? The fans are the people that make their living on using WordPress or doing WordPress services. And first of all, it seems like a bad idea in general to use the, something called ad hominem attacks to defend your position, which seems to be what's going on here. Ad hominem is where you attack the person instead of the position that they're maintaining, right? So 
it really seems like a bad idea to sort of go us versus you. You are against us because you don't like our idea because you're stupid or you're, you know, you don't get it. You can't, you know, whatever. That seems to be a really bad position. And I, I can't judge Matt. I'm not in his shoes, but it seems like he's towing a really fine line between like ad hominem or not, right? Like you just don't get what it's like to be me or what this group of smarter people is doing. I mean, I'm not saying he said that specifically, but it seems awfully close. The other thing seems to be like, again, we learned from the Civil War here in the United States that even if the goal is to boost the sales of a particular commercial version or whatever comes of WordPress, it seems like it'd be better off if they had figured out a way to bring everybody in line or the majority of them in line. And maybe there would be a subset of people but if I was to sort of have this time machine, I would have said, might have been a better idea to say, hey, there's going to be WordPress Classic and WordPress Super New and Improved, right? That way, if you want to go with us on the journey for the WordPress New and Improved, come with us. But all the rest of you can still be the big bosses of that open source thing that we started with without being alienated. Now, I just don't think that anybody in Silicon Valley has that kind of a mindset because I think those are the ones who are probably investing the most money, or at least those joint uh, venture capital partners are the ones of that mindset. So they have the, let's get as many people to come on board this thing. And then one day we flip a switch and we change it and jettison all those poor suckers who came along for the ride, believing in our granola, you know, kind of mission. When in fact, we really had an ultimate goal. I hope it doesn't get to that. But if it does get to that, then I think we have this nice little safety net, which is, this is open source software. It's not a closed platform. So if they ever really got to that push comes to shove, I think people will take the software and make version 2.0 or whatever of this thing. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I actually think Matt um, actually structured that because in some ways it, it protects him a little bit um, from what can happen normally in a startup that has VC money. Uh, I think if there's a duality there. It actually suits... He's the way he sees himself, the way he likes to portray himself in the WordPress community. He actually suits his purposes to some extent. You mean well, like he can he can allow this jettisoning to happen, and then he could play both ends of it. So he could say like, "Yes, you guys should go and go off with this." And da, da, da. at the same time, he follows automatically where the money is leading for the commercial product. Well, it gives not quite actually because that that he would be an extremely cynical individual, and I don't sense that. I, I sense that he's he's a person of principle, but as a CEO of a very large company, there also had to be an effective CEO. There has to be a ruthless element of your personality and he's clearly shown that in his career when it comes to push to shove he's prepared to be totally ruthless which I don't actually um I don't see that as a problem because to be an effective CEO of a large company you've got to be like that when it comes to it but on the other hand I, I do sense that he does have some fundamental principles and um, I think he set this whole thing up because it, it, it guards him from different pressure groups. Um, what do you think, John? As each of you uh, alluded to, a lot of... I, I don't blame Matt necessarily because he's... The reason why he's doing these things, the reason why this project is going this direction is because they've taken VC money on. 31 or 32 
50% of the web or whatever it is right now is not enough. They need, you know, 50% or more. They need a moonshot. And when you take on VC money, you got to get exponential growth. So that's the reason why this project is going in this direction. They're trying to beef up WordPress.com to be a competitor to Squarespace and Wix and everything else. And this is anecdotal, but I'm going to tell you something. Um, a lot of times we'll watch uh, TV, late night TV with my wife. And I've been noticing like every night there's commercials on TV for WordPress.com. Never saw those before. So that tells you something. Um, it, it, as Spencer said, he made, you know, they made Jettison the automatic brain trust. They made Jettison all the people who came along for the open source ride. I think we're already there. Um, and that's why you're seeing things like the fork, like classic press. Now for, <clears throat> for a, a, a product builder like Chris, the concern is, is you have to, you know, go with what's happening, which is Gutenberg. Um, it's going to happen. It's, you know, it's, you just got to change with the times. Uh, I, I think, you know, once it all gets sorted out, you know, in time, I think there's going to be some, some rough patches ahead, especially when it hits the mainstream market. Now we all on this podcast know the inside, you know, what's coming down the pike in WordPress, but even like people that I talk to that run agencies, they're kind of, you know, still in the dark about this. Uh, so I think once it hits the mainstream and all the people who have websites out there uh, that are running on WordPress and don't know that this is coming, I think you're going to see a true reaction to what happens and, and maybe some of those speed bumps will smooth out. But again, there's the classic press uh, fork. There's the classic editor plugin, which will, uh, you know, should keep the editor in place until uh, 2021. So, you know, there's lots of options on the table. So. Well, it's, it's very similar. I, I don't totally agree with what you're saying there, John. I agree almost 80% of it. I just don't push it. Um, I think they needed, they, you are right, they need more growth. Um, but the editor, the actual, um, you know, I just spoke, um, I just had an in, interview um, that's going to go on the show with... Um, um, one of the leading people in Elementor. Um, yeah, thanks for that. I had a brain, brain fart. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they don't seem that too worried, you know, because he, he had some really good points that they, they feel that their project, they've spent so many hours on it and they've got a large team. They've spent so many hours on this and it's going to take so long to catch up that by the time they catch up, they're going to be even further on the uh, road. So, um, so, and I've also lost track of what the main point I was going to make. Well, the main point I was going to make is linked to our last week's conversation is that um, in my editorial, um, I pointed out that I never considered WordPress to be legally, yes, it's open source, but I always saw it as a kind of hybrid where Matt had a much more authoritarian role with automatic which I think was fine when everything's going great. Um, I always sensed that he wanted to do it both ways. And don't get me wrong, I, I think we're all like that. I, I think I can be like that. I think we can always want contradictory things at the same time. And I think he likes to present himself, um, and I don't think this is an act, this is part of his, 
of the way he really wants to come across as this cool coder dude that um, has this really the most popular open source project in the world. And it really, that kind of persona really means something to him. But then there's the hard-headed CEO part um, that's about making money that has running a real business. And I think he really buys into that as well. Um, and sometimes those two things can be give very contradictual messages at the best, you know, and I think you're seeing that at the present moment. But that I might be talking absolute shit, couldn't I? Which is quite regular, isn't it? So there we go. Uh, um, so um, on to the next story. The problem with easy technology. What did you think of this one, Spencer? I mean, it's one of those stories. I'm not sure why it was written. I mean, everybody has to fill in. But his premise is that there was some kids movie. I can't think of what it was, but it was where some humans, it was a cartoon, but like humans messed up the planet and they all had to go live on a space station where everything was sort of automated. And you guys help me out here, kids. But Wally. Is it Wally? Okay. They got so fat and lazy, like they couldn't do anything. They got moved around the space station and eventually the earth was clean, but like they couldn't even get off their chairs and stuff. And so I think his premise is kind of along those lines of, are we going to make everything so easy and so simple that everybody forgets how to do hard stuff? And I don't really think that's true because I am in a lot of subculture stuff like flying and photography and videography and cooking. And like, there's people, I, I mean, it's weird. You go off on YouTube and you get into these things like, here's a guy hand making knives out of every material he can think of. Like here's a cardboard knife. Here's a, a fabric knife. You know, I don't think humans will ever devolve into that. But at the same time, as a father of three, I really actually appreciate when I have five different ways to get something done in two seconds that used to take me all day to do. I mean, everything from my shopping to my cooking to my cleaning to whatever. So it's a nice conversation. It was an interesting story, but I don't think human beings have the capability to all turn into these like, you know, blobs of jello that just get carted around. Or at least I shouldn't say the majority of people don't. I think most people will will generally get have some hobby or thing that they just do for the sake of doing because it's hard or it takes time or it uses their brain. Yeah, I understand why you would say that, actually. But I thought there were some deeper um, elements to his argument. I think um, he took the... Um, the allergy of skiing, you know, um, you know, I do a bit of skiing. That's why I still live in this area. Um, you know, and if I didn't have a ski lift, um, it would be pretty hard to do skiing unless I was normally wealthy like you, Spencer, and I can afford right. a hello. You can borrow my helicopter if you want. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Uh, um, but he's kind of he's using an allergy also similar to uh, Frederick Nietzsche um, um, about in his famous book, Clanalaska, uh, I think you pronounce it, um, about, you know, you can take a helicopter to get to the top of the mountain or you can climb the mountain. Climbing the mountain is really difficult, but which one makes you feel the best? Which one will promote real growth in you? I would suggest actually climbing the mountain rather than taking the helicopter. Um, and the point of life is struggle. And um, if you remove struggle, i.e. through technology, you remove purpose from life. 
I think that's what his key message in that article was, Spencer. What did you think, Chris? I think this is a perfect bridge, actually, from the last article. And I'm going to go big picture and put my anthropology and social psychology hat on here and say that, uh, like, if you were talking about this, the CEO hat and then, like, the identity hat or whatever, I think the modern entrepreneur leader is, you know, has a balance between people, profit, and planet. That's what builds world-class companies these days. It's not just about the money. It's not just about the people. Like they all, all those things work together. You don't want to blow up the, the planet that the business exists on in the process either. So when we talk about purpose and motivation, there's some social science on this. Uh, a couple of social scientists, um, uh, Ryan and, and DC, I think were their last names, but they created a theory called the self-determination theory of motivation, which says that we're motivated by three things, which is autonomy, um, competence, and relatedness. So uh, to the reason they, they made the housewives have to crack the egg and put it in the cake mix, like the article suggests, is we want to feel competent in what we do. And notice those three things that gave us meaning in our life. Money was not on that list. So being an individual and being autonomous and having some control and agency in our lives, this is what is extremely motivated, way beyond money. Um, well, it's the, it's the, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, yeah. I feel I might be deluding. It's the main thing that drives me. That, yeah. That's the main thing that drives me to continue trying to make a living the way I'm doing it is for that purpose. And why are you putting together this panel on Fridays? So there's relatedness here. There's relationships with other human beings. And then competence. Um, that's something that it, it's, it feels good when we get better at SEO, selling, uh, publishing, entrepreneurship, whatever it is, that feels good when we get better and become more and more competent and demonstrate competence and learn, you know, just level up. I, I just want to interrupt again. I'm sorry to be a slightly rude, but I think you're on, it's a fantastic insight. And that's one of the reasons why I introduced this article is that I'm just going to put this to you and see what you think, Chris. That's the contradiction with technology because if it makes everything simple, it's actually reducing the feelings of those things that you've just pointed out in a way, isn't it? So I would go back to Peter Diamandis's, I think it was Peter Diamandis's book called Abundance. You can have two perspectives. These can be the best of times or they can be the worst of times. Like never before have you had at your fingertips with all this tech, the ability to, like me, I'm in a little shed in my garden, as you say, running an international company with my kids running around outside. And, and like, you couldn't do this 10 years ago. So these, this is amazing. This is amazing. But, you know, it's a, there are, it is possible too, to, to what he mentions in the article or she, um, to atrophy, to take technology and like lose all your relationships because you're plugged into the phone all the time, lose all your competence because you've got everything just kind of done for you. And, um, you're actually really giving up your autonomy because you're, you're actually losing control and giving yourself over to the machines and modern technology. So you, you kind of got to make a choice and it's not like a yes or no, but I think it takes a level of consciousness to decide how you interact with that technology. I mean, I've, I'm a, I have a background in mountain climbing. I've been to Nepal. I've been in the Himalaya. I've seen Mount Everest. I haven't climbed Mount Everest. I've climbed up pretty high nearby it, but uh, I've also 
been in a plane like flying by the top of Mount Everest before. That's not f- as fulfilling as it is like being on the ground moving up beside the mountain. And you have some basic technology to make sure you don't die in the process and don't lose your way. That's which one do you want to do? Yeah, I think that that's also you've done well there. I'm not being patronizing. Um, um, but it's the same thing. You use the technology to climb the mountain, but you could fly over it, but that reduces the experience. It's finding a balance. What did you think, John? Oh, you want to say something, Spencer? I just want to add something in there real quick is that the other part about it is the tools themselves expand your capability of how far one can go. For example, the tools and technologies of the previous century are what we built the, the tools of today's technology upon. And so they become foundational tools, right? I don't want to sit there and have to learn how to make an integrated circuit in order to develop a circuit board, in order to make an electronic measuring tool, in order to measure what I need to do for my project today. I just want to buy the measuring tool, like a multimeter or something. And I think that the human condition is that as each tool builds on itself and each invention and each technology builds on itself, we rise, if, if we don't devolve politically, into a state where now we can go farther and faster and that's the next stage of like hacking and doing the next thing. Today's like, oh, um, we fly 35,000 feet are replaced with, wow, we just flew to Mars and back in six minutes or something. That's the dream. And that's where I think that this is a sort of fallacious argument of, like, oh, people are just going to get fat and lazy and sit around, like, being satisfied with watching TV all day. Um, before I throw it over to John, I just want to reply to that. I live in a uh, in an area that has a lot of retired people, a lot of retired people that have come from California. And put it, um, this is a, a sweeping statement, so it has a lot of untruth to it, but it has a certain level of truth also. Um, a lot of them are extremely wealthy and comfortable. I've, I've noticed that they, their lives are totally empty as well. This is my opinion. They live, um, I actually remember I was asked to go, um, it's over a year ago, I was asked to do a, a, a talk. And uh, I won't go in, it was a group of very, um, a mixture of, Conservative and liberals, it was actually at a church and I was asked to do a presentation for them. And I, I, I chose to be controversial, surprise, surprise, um, in some of the elements. It was respectful and I was respectful for the committee that asked me to go and speak there. Uh, it, was, it was like throwing a, a hand grenade. <laughs> You know, um, some loved it. Others, they, they, it kind of, they, they, there was a, I could tell as I, as I progressed through the speak, the presentation, it, it was like rabbits looking in into headlights. They, they really didn't know what the hell was going on. And then that after it, that some of them turned into anger. Because if you, you if you're forced to look at something that you really don't want to look at, there's either you think about it or the knee-jerk reaction is to get angry. And I think there's a lot of people that pursue total comfort, but that pursuit they end out being an empty vessel, really. But there we go. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, there's a there, there's a lot of hidden points in this article that if you reread it a few times, it'll kind of jump out at you. And 
one of the paragraphs in here, they talk about the failure of tools to, you know, give us convenience time. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the Animatrix, uh, where <laughs> basically you have all the AI doing all the work and people have a lot more leisure time. And that's kind of the future that we are being promised or have been promised. But what you see in actuality is that we have less free time uh, as a society than, than we did before. So, um, it, it, and then in the last paragraph, it talks about the direction that we are right now as a species was determined by the tools that we built on in the past. Um, I think it's important to not be trapped by our tools or, you know, the things that we seek to master, but to really have a self-determination of where we want to go as a species and as a planet. Um, because I'm not sure that the path that we're on right now is one that's going to be the most fulfilling. So. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, we're going to go for a break, folks. But before we do that, I want to talk about one of my great sponsors. I hope they're fulfilled because then they can keep sponsoring this show. Uh, um, and I want to talk about Kinsta Hosting. Um, Kinsta, what can I say about it? They specialize in WordPress hosting. They're one of my major sponsors. They've chosen, they, they've told me they're going to sponsor the show in 2019, so they must be happy. Um, I'm happy that, that they are sponsored because they are a quality hosting company. And what, you, what do you get out of this, listeners and viewers? Well, if you're a consultant developer and you're looking for quality hosting, go to Kinsta because they've got staging site. They've got the latest versions of PHP. They've got one-click backup. Got 24-7 really great support. That's really important. And they use Google Cloud as their backbone. So the performance is just breathtaking. So you get quality support, 24 hours. You get all the leading technology you're looking for. And it's based on a platform that's totally rock solid so go to kinsta.com and find out more we're going for a break we're back we'll be back in a few moments with some other great stories back in a few do you want to spend more time making money online then use wp tonic as your trusted wordpress developer partner they will keep your wordpress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money examples of wp tonic's client services are landing pages page layouts widgets updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. Coming back, got a bit of philosophical in that second part, Spencer wasn't having it. He was saying it was just a load of old shit. So there we go. But you can't please them all, can you? Uh, uh, on to the next one. And this is funny enough from Kingston. I, honestly, I just did choose it. From its Total coincidence. Yeah. Well, it was actually. Because I just looked and I thought, <laughs> Brian, Brian Jackson, hopefully he will come back on the panel. Uh, um I'll invite him. Uh, um, that might help, might it? But he's a busy guy. But Brian writes some really fantastic stuff. He always does a really great job with the pieces that he writes. And it's WordPress developer, sorry, average plus how to increase yours. What did you think of this one, John? 
Yeah, there was um, there was a lot of uh, mixed things here. Uh, going back to a uh, quote that Ryan Sullivan made in 2014, uh, how to reduce any developer job by 30%, add WordPress to the title. <laughs> very, very interesting, um, because you look at the comparison and, and Drupal and Joomla developers earn uh, significantly more on average and also, there's a segment of the WordPress development market that is very low. You know, if you look at Upwork, what people are charging, I would venture to say that that probably most of these are not in the U.S. or the U.K. because I don't know how you could sustain a business doing this otherwise. Uh, you know, twenty bucks an hour is barely above minimum wage uh, at, at this point in a lot of parts of the U.S. Um, well, I agree with you, but unfortunately, yeah. there's a lot of people that are working below twenty dollars an hour, aren't they, in this country? Well, okay, so I'll just speak from my own experience here. When I first made the transition from being a W two employee in a totally different type of industry into being a you know freelancer, you know WordPress developer, build sites for people, I really had to retrain my brain because. Up to that point, I think the most that I ever got paid per hour was maybe 20 bucks an hour. So to me, that was a lot of money. And I think the first time that uh, I raised my rates, it was to like $30 an hour. I was like, wow, yeah, $30 an hour. That's a lot of money. Um, <laughs> but I've increased it like several times since then. And is just getting a, a grasp of what it takes to, you know, run a freelance business, which is, different than having a job as a WordPress developer working in-house for a company or for an agency. It's a it's totally different ball totally game. Totally different. Ball totally game. different. Totally different because if you're an employee, they're going to add benefits and, and things like workman's comp on top of that. So your total cost is, is actually going to be much more than your actual salary to that company. Um, so the the best advice that I can give is really challenge yourself to what you think a lot of money is and really look at your business realistically. Uh, if you want to earn more money, just charge more money and give more clues. I mean, that's tried advice that you hear all the time. Like, But, but you really have to retrain your brain from being, if you're a freelancer and, and specifically, if you're, you have to retrain your brain from being an employee to being a business owner and adjust those costs accordingly. Um, and just raise that money. Um, well, it was, a, it was yeah. like, it was a, um, before I throw it over to um, Chris, it was a very well-written piece. Because they, they, they normally, would you agree, John, they normally are from Brian. They're normally well-written, aren't they? He's an excellent uh, writer, yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't say there was any kind of new insight in it. The only thing, the, the only thing, I would put to Chris now, is it, is it just a supply and demand? You know, there's just a lot of people, WordPress developers, there's not so many Drupal Jumners. So that, that, that's your answer, really. What do you reckon, Chris? Um, I think it's really important to, like, describe the, the distinction between a WordPress implementer an actual web developer or coder, a web de a designer who uses like Photoshop and stuff, and then the hybrids that can do some or all of that. Because sometimes the word 
developer or WordPress developer can mean a lot of different things. Um, uh, that's a very diplomatic way of putting it, isn't it? Because of online education and YouTube, and uh, you can pick up these skills. And you actually took an article off of this panel that I was hoping we'd get to by Yuval Harari. He wrote the book Sapiens. His biggest thing is that... Uh, the, the future is about... Well, the reason I did that, Chris, because I thought yeah. it would be just too highbrow for Spencer. So I thought... <laughs> no. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> well, he, he just makes a point in his stuff about the future and how the, the skill of the future is about being able to reinvent yourself and being able to learn quickly. And this world of... Um, if, you, if you're looking for a new career, like it said, the average was around 63 or 68,000. Um, that's good. I mean, that's, that's something you can get into that. And even if you're not a developer, if you're like a power WordPress user, implementer, and put tools together kind of person and create value for a business, that's good. It said the price range was from on Upwork, which is a freelancer site, was 20 to $100 an hour. And I've kind of done the whole spectrum myself as a WordPress implementer and then later as an agency person, sold my first stuff at $20 or $30 an hour and then went, went all the way up to the high end to like $200 an hour with agency, with baked in project management, all this stuff. It's a wonderful industry to get involved in. And if you're a self-starter, you can pick up skills inside that. But I think it's important to be honest about what, what type of developer or technology person are you? Because, um, and if you want to be a full featured, you kind of got to build a team around you that fills in the gaps there. But I thought it was a great article, $68,000 a year in a world where a lot of things are getting automated. It's a, it's a good skill set to have. I recommend people, um, uh, if you're looking for a career or thinking about getting into it, there are a lot of great resources out there to learn from. And if you're looking to hire a developer, I would say the most important thing is you get what you pay for a lot of times. So don't be scared of a slightly higher price. You know, whether you're paying like 30, 40, 50, $60 an hour, you may get the, you may get much better work done like seven times as fast. So it's not, if you're concerned on the buying side of hiring a developer, um, you want to find a good one. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you really do get what you pay for. Yeah. Uh, Spencer, somebody that doesn't know about training implementers or anything like this what do you reckon this this one i'm, I'm so wound up in my head waiting to, to say what i have to say about this okay i love this topic this is where i've made my living for my entire life the, the world we live in it really comes down and i feel like i'm channeling morton even though this is coming from me because i'm just i'm saying what would morton say right now but this is i'll put it in morton's terms Okay, there's skills, there's marketing, there's entrepreneurship, there's relationships. The world we live in today is no longer the job of join a corporation, work 50 years as a drone and get a watch and retire happily. If you are young or old, it does not matter anymore. You could be 70 years old and reinvent yourself because of the things we just covered in today's topics. The foundational tools and technologies and skills are not necessarily like you have to learn chemistry and physics and go out and do experiments in the wild. You can take what tools are there, figure out one thing, one thing. I've said this again and again. To make yourself financially successful, and I'm not talking 60,000, I'm talking 120,000, 180,000, 240,000. There's no limit. 
Find a subset of people who have a pain point that you can solve by assembling existing stuff and delivering it in a way that makes them want to trust you and make you the person that is in the relationship to solve their pain. Marketing, Seth Godin's got an amazing new book out, This Is Marketing. One Mm. of his examples was people who sell drill bits aren't selling drill bits. They're selling not just the hole that people want in the wall. They're selling the fact people want a hole in the wall because they want to put a shelf up. But they really want to put a shelf up because they want to clean up their house and display their pictures. And they get a sense of like satisfaction and oh, awesomeness about how clean and tidy their world is and how amazing their house looks now. So the drill bit seller has to understand that they're selling the satisfaction of having clean and tidy house to a certain subset of people. In the WordPress space, I've consistently made and taught people how to make far more than $68,000 by knowing nothing about development, nothing about writing themes or plugins, nothing about design or, or graphic arts or Adobe. It's find people who don't know anything, who want that shelf on the wall of their house, and then just go gather up all the stuff that's plain as day and put it in a package and charge what that feeling is worth to the person. And guess what? The person living in the real world who doesn't spend all day long like us talking about WordPress, thinking about WordPress being on Upwork and so forth, guess what they think? They're used to paying a plumber 300 bucks to come plunge a toilet or a house painter 5,000 bucks to paint their house. When you charge them 5,000 bucks to put up their particular business website with membership and marketing automation, whatever, 5,000 bucks sounds great. 10,000 bucks sounds great. The people who get screwed I'm not going to name names, but I've said this before, are the people that go into the red light district and try to compete against all the other prostitutes in the red light district for pick me, pick me, pick me. I'll work for this an hour or that an hour. And I'm better than this guy or that guy, whether they're in the U.S. or abroad, it doesn't matter. As soon as you start competing in a a town full of hookers, you're going to be a hooker. When you go and find your good relationship with somebody who wants a relationship, like a marriage, they will pay what the feeling is of having that relationship, which is real businesses who aren't spending all day long on the internet need WordPress. They need an online website. They need to have their business online. And you just have to be entrepreneurial enough to talk to them and find them. You have to be brave enough to realize that they're not looking for you on Upwork or any of those other services they're, they're, or Elance or whatever it's called today. They're looking for you nowhere. You have to find them and be brave enough to say, hey, this is what you need and this is why you need it. And if you can figure that out and you just have the skill of understanding what these tools are, don't have to design them, just use them, you will succeed exponentially. And I will say from a salary standpoint, I've been a self-employed person my entire life. It's nonsense in U.S. politics that these guys, uh, certain politicians claiming that it's an entitlement for us to get our social security. That's obviously bullshit because if 13% of your income goes as a self-employed person towards paying into this fund, it's not an entitlement. It was my money to begin with, but suck it up anyway, because it's the price of entry to have the freedom is you're going to lose like 15% off every dollar, but you know what you get in return for it? Full autonomy, not to have to answer to anybody. You can make your own life, your own decisions. And in a world where everything is evolving, guess what? When they start stirring up the bottom of the ocean, you know, the fishes and stuff, 
Like that's where all the food and the opportunity comes from, stirring it up. If you're brave enough and smart enough to think like that, regardless of your age, you will succeed. Rant over. I think that was fantastic. I did, as usual, I didn't totally agree with it, but it was a fantastic rant. So I Thank think you. I think we move on to the next one. <laughs> um, recovering SEO traffic and ranking after website design. The reason why I threw this in was obviously John's part of our panel, but also I've been dealing with a client, um, helping them out um, with a total fuck-up of their website yeah. um, that shouldn't have happened, really. Um, so, um, John, what did you think of this one? It was yeah. basic stuff, but I thought it was really well, and it came from a good source, didn't it? Yeah, so it's basic stuff, you would think, but I, I, I'm just going to give a bunch of anecdotes here. And, and you can learn from this if you're planning to do a redesign of your site. If you're talking to an agency or someone or anyone that's going to redesign your site, what you should do is uh, have a Google Analytics, uh, have it set up in there. What I would do is set it up in something like SEMrush or Ahrefs for all the keywords that you're already ranking for. So you can have a point of uh, marking what it was before you started this redesign and then what it is after, because a lot of people will just come up and say, Oh, I'm not ranking or, or I, I can't be found. And it's too vague. You need to be able to actually measure, you know, where you were versus where you are now. So some of the things that happen, um, the first thing like branding design agencies, I love you, but a lot of times you're, focused on selling great design and you do an awesome job with that, but you need to not mess with the content or you need to partner with someone who does SEO, whether it's an agency in your town or a consultant you trust, but you need to have someone else in that project that actually understands SEO or you can do damage. And your top traffic driving pages, they're usually going to be landing pages, maybe your homepage in there too, don't change the content too drastically when you relaunch this site. Don't make big sweeping changes to the content of your which, top ranking which pages. Is like, which yeah. is easy to say, but the whole the whole way that is, the whole, <clears throat> you know and I know, John, yeah. how these, these are sold because I've worked for some agencies yeah. and I, I, I know the selling process that that is not normally, and the client, yeah. Also, the client wants to normally, I want a total change, don't they? Yeah. But see, the thing is, is like, say, for example, if you've got a homepage and it's ranking for certain things, and then, you know, this design or UI or UX agency comes in and they redo it, and 60% of the content is not there anymore on that homepage in the redesign, it might look pretty, might win a design award, it might win you more, you know, the design agency some more work, but it might actually hurt the rankings. And that's why I'm saying don't make too many changes uh, after the, you know, d during launch. If you want to make changes like afterwards, th then yeah. And but that's why I'm saying like any web design agency should have somebody that they have as a consultant in their corner and just upsell their time or whatever it is as as part of that package. 
because otherwise he might hurt your um, uh, client. So some of the things that, that happen to you, if you're changing your domain name, your domain name, say if you're, you are WP Tonic and you're going to change to WP Maintenance or something like that. WP Grumpy. Yeah, you're changing, you're starting over. You're completely starting that uh, domain name at zero. And Google... What do you reckon it should be, John? Grumpy Englishman. Yeah, but, but, but here's some, something to keep in mind. If you're, if you're doing that, it's starting from zero. And so that first year, it's not going to rank as high. After the first year, it, it's going to start lifting up to where it should be. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Also, if you're changing the protocol, meaning the www or the HTTP to HTTPS, make sure that all four variants of that domain name resolve to where it should be. Uh, 301 redirects is another thing. Uh, I have a client. They have a competitor that just did a redesign and I was scouting them and the team the, <laughs> that did the redesign, they botched a bunch of redirects uh, that were, they basically 404. So all the links that are coming into those pages are, they're not getting any link equity for them. And so that's going to hurt their SEO. Uh, you know, other things, if, if you're changing URLs, make sure you have all the 301s and actually test them. Uh, another thing, uh, I've heard this one before too, when I, I've done sites for other people, it's like, hey, we redid this site. And it, it is basically like built an expression engine and then I rebuilt it in WordPress, but it was exactly the same. Uh, and they said, oh, the traffic dropped. Uh, but I looked it up in SEMrush and it's, no, they had paid ads going. They were using AdWords and then they dropped AdWords. That's what happened. So, you know, check all those things. Make sure that all the parts of your team are communicating with all those things. Um, if you get rid of pages, make sure you're redirecting it somewhere else. So uh, to, so to yeah. recap, it, it, it's, um, obviously it'll be in the show notes, folks. The okay. reason why, because I'm dealing with this client and I've come across this article and I thought it would also be good for you. It just covers really basic stuff, but it's so... It's mind-blowing that it's buckered up so regularly, isn't it? All the time. All the time. Uh, there's right. a lot of details. Like if you're moving like an established site with a bunch of uh, URLs, there's a lot to, to that can mm. slip through. So Yeah, don't do it cheap. In other words, it's a medium don't site. Don't do it cheap, yep. Mm -hmm. All right, which is linked to what we've just said. I'm going to jump because I, I didn't want this to go on forever, um, but I did want to cover story five. Um, as well. Um, it's a sad story, really, because we're coming to Thanksgiving. Um, it's a bit sad, about, and it's, it says something about the human condition to some degree. Couple and homeless man said to have made up story behind 4,000 GoFundMe campaign. What did you think of this one, Spencer? I, reg I, I, I originally remember the story from when it you know, it came out because it was a feel good. And then it evolved into like a pissing contest of like those people took advantage. And then of course it became all this. The whole problem with things like this is that it causes a disruption of the people doing really good stuff in charitable cases, because it really could have been a, a really feel good situation from the first part of it before it went to the like pissing contest. And so I just concern myself only to that extent that people have already become so cynical about so many things that it will cause an issue. 
I, I do feel, however, that this is just one of those um, anything good that especially involves money always has the potential to be abused. We hear about that in, you know, somebody did an analysis of all the main charities, you know, everything from the Salvation Army to whatever. And they said like in one of them, 95% of the money goes to corporate salaries and stuff like that. So humanity will find its balance. This is just one story along the road. I was sad when I heard it. I wasn't surprised. I only hope that after the holidays and everything else, that people will continue to give money to things that they really believe in, especially these funding type of, of things. Because I do see a lot of legitimate ones where tragedy strikes and people are very generous. I think you, you had some great points. One of the reasons, one of the other reasons why I thought this was a story, because it's linked to um, ongoing discussion we've been having on this panel about Facebook, about social media, about... It's about how people can be persuaded. You know, Morton keeps going on and I keep oscillating by being influenced by Morton's point of view. And then there's part of me that want to reject it. Like you're, you're persuaded, you're persuaded to buy this or you're persuaded to vote for this particular because you see a load of Facebook comments and whatever. And I think to myself, no, I, I don't actually. Um, so it's the power, what was the power that made, what was the good points about this, Chris, and what was the bad, because it really showed the generous, the generosity of people, but also it's, it's got the most darkest element of the human condition as well, isn't it, Chris? It is. And, uh, there's actually a very valuable lesson in here about viral marketing and why people share things on social media. Yeah, what was his power, Chris? What was the power of the message, do you think? I will share it here, but I have to do a disclaimer, like the Spider-Man thing, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> so the the psychological thing going on here, and in my understanding of why we share what we share on social media, a lot of it is because it's actually a selfish act for ourselves. Whether, so it makes us feel good. So I may share an article, I may retweet an article that makes me appear smart and intellectual. I may share that I funded this person because it makes me feel, um, display myself publicly as a philanthropist or a, a healer of some kind. So the reason we share, I just would encourage people, especially if you're doing content marketing, to create something that people will share because it makes them feel good, but just don't get into the manipulation stuff. And I agree with Spencer 100% that, um, you know, anytime money's involved, I, I heard Jocko Willing, who people probably know, uh, the Navy SEAL guy, Discipline Equals Freedom. He really talks about how there is real evil in the world. And that's why he does what he does and everything. And there is evil in the world. And I think even in all of us humans, we have the capacity for evil and being unjust. It's the yin and yang of the whole show. So if you find a loophole or if you open up a viral loop that is, uh, you just have to be careful because there's great power in that. And you may be tapping into some a very deep human need to um, 
you know, feel accepted or well, feel the, the strange, just, just before I throw it over to John, the strange thing is obviously this crew of three were quite good marketers, but also they were totally naive. If they, do you think it just blew up or do you, they blew it up because they were stupid enough to argue with each other. If they just kept the money and shared it, they would have got away with it. It's like the, the, the Scooby-Doo reference in the comments. You know, if it weren't for you meddling. I'm not kids, sure if they would have got it because I think it, it, I think reporters, real reporters, not, not TV hosts, Dolly hosts as I call them. Sorry, folks, that was extremely sexist. Um, but real report, really cynical, hardcore reporters, when they, they, because of that story, I know real reporters, they would have started digging in. And I, I, I take what you just said, Spencer. But there's, no, there's, nothing, there's nothing that would have got them in trouble except they started fighting amongst themselves. But there's a good takeaway from this. There is, I think, one nice takeaway. And sorry, John, I'm not trying to jump on your spot. Is that, first of all, I guarantee that Blake Lively will play the girl because... She apparently has the total dead ringer look. And I'm thinking Screech from Saved by the Bell. That actor is going to play the homeless veteran with the beard. So I think it'll be a great made-for-TV movie once they get around to it. So, John, John, what did you think of this story and what we were just saying? You know, I was just sitting here thinking about this. And if you go bigger picture, I, I think it's really bad. I think it's sad that we have to have GoFundMes for our medical bills, for our homeless veterans, uh, for, you know, insulin and it's all these other... It's pathetic, yeah. really, isn't it? It's pathetic. We need a better social contract and then people wouldn't have to scam on GoFundMe. <laughs> yeah. I've got a story. Um, unfortunately, the American Red Cross got into a bit of a scandal a few years ago and... A lot of people, um, it's a typical, um, I've met people from the Red Cross, the Nevada um, chapter, and it's a typical well-established American non-profit where, and I'm not just pointing out the American Red Cross, and don't worry, folks, I'm going to get to the point quickly for me. It's, it's It's a typical SEO um, a non-profit organization that's really well funded. Um, and if you ever dealt with one of those, you know where I'm coming from. Now, it dug itself a hole in it, in it and the media <clears throat> still has a go at it because I think it still internally has a lot of problems, the National Red Cross of America and it still finds itself under attack for legitimate reasons. But in my heart, I will always have a soft place for the International Red Cross because my grandfather, my mother's dad, got captured at Dunkirk and he was imprisoned in a German prisoner of war camp. And because he spoke out, he saw some Polish women being whipped and abused when he was doing some outside work and he confronted, he was sent to a concentration camp and he was tortured for over a year because also they found out he was a socialist. So not only did he have the guts to confront them, he was also a socialist. They tortured him for a year and it 
it was only the Red, the International Red Cross, through their actions, managed to get him to be sent back. They did an exchange of prisoners, and they did their best, and they got my grandfather back home, and he died six months after he got home. But at least my mother saw him for, and had him in his and had managed to say goodbye to him. So I, for all their problems, I still contribute to the International Red Cross because they personally helped my family. Right? So I just thought, I, I don't know if you had anything, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> right, Chris, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can find me at lifterlms.com. The, that Black Friday coupon code is Black Friday 18. I also have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast. Check that out. And John, how can people find out more about you? You can find me at my website, which is lockdownseo.com, and also go on YouTube, search hashtag lockdownseo, and subscribe to my YouTube. And Spencer, how can people find out more about you? wplaunchify.com or help at wplaunchify.com. Yes, and I'm going through Spencer's course myself. He was, um, he's been gracious. He allowed me access. It's really very good, Spencer. You've done that was our, good. that was our WP automation lab course, which is not something we really push anymore because what we found ironically is that this gets to a point. More people when offered a, here's a course that explains this, or you could call us up and we'll hold your hand. 99% of people are like, I'd rather just pay you to talk to me and hold my hand. So the, we, we thought we'd try both ways and the marketplace spoke. So it's still there. You're welcome to check it out. But most people like a free phone call and then we sell it. Hey, here's how we're going to solve your pain. And they go, okay, let's do it. Yeah, but you're a great educator. I, I take the mickey. I've taken the mickey because we got to know one another and you know my English humor, but right. you are a great educator. Thanks, Spencer. We'll be back next week with another great panel. Have a great Thanksgiving, folks, for you, your family, and your friends. Don't stuff yourself too much. And we'll be back. We won't have an episode next Friday, probably. I'm going to discuss that with the panel, actually, but probably not. Um, if not, we'll see you the following week. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Peace. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.